Today on Blue 58, if you lose to the team everyone thinks is the worst team in football, what does that say about you? As it turns out, we can just ask the Packers. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, back with you from vacation for another episode. And what an episode it is. What a thing we get to talk about today. Leading into this game, obviously not being around for a while, you don't go in with a lot of prep. But you don't need a lot of prep for a game like this because coming off a bye week with a chance to play, I think what most people broadly describe as the worst team in football in the Denver Broncos, it really just comes down to how the game makes you feel. If the Packers win this game, depending on how they win it, you probably feel like they're at least taking a step in the right direction. At least we didn't lose to the Broncos. But if they lose to the Broncos, it's not just bad feelings. You start having to ask some real questions about where things are in Green Bay. So that was kind of the mindset heading into this game. If they win, well, hopefully it just means they're taking a step in the right direction. If they lose, well, that means a whole bunch of different things. Well, the Packers went out and lost. And they went out and lost in a way that I think is going to make a lot of people try to explain it away. Well, they missed a field goal early on or earlier in the game. That changed how they approached things at the end there. They don't miss that field goal, they probably win. Or if Elton Jenkins doesn't get that holding call on the last drive, maybe Jordan Love doesn't have to throw up that prayer on third and 20. It doesn't get intercepted and maybe the Packers win then. So on and so on and so on. But I think the way the Packers lost actually covers up a lot of pretty bad things in this game. And it behooves us to talk about them. And if you're just trying to go on vibes, just trying to go on how the game makes you feel, well, it's hard to, one, come out of this game with anything other than a bad feeling. And two, it's really hard to base ideas on what you're supposed to do next on those feelings. If you just feel bad, I think your feelings can lead you astray. It's hard to base any opinions or plans on those feelings because they might not, they might be misplaced. It's easy to just let how you feel in a certain time kind of take you down the wrong path. So I think instead we need to talk right now at the start of this podcast about what we know for sure at least as it pertains to this game, and then maybe a little bit more broadly about this team in general. The first thing I think that is worth pointing out is that the Packers had two weeks to prepare for this game, specifically this offensive game plan. And what we got was a scheme that looked like the Packers are afraid of their quarterback and their quarterback proving those fears right. This is what two weeks of prep time looks like. Screens that go nowhere, targets to your Biggest and most athletic players, no more than two yards down the field. Just uncreative, unimaginative, and seemingly unwilling to try anything outside of a very, very small box. And this has kind of become a trend for Matt LaFleur after a bye. He's had five post-bye week games now in his career in Green Bay, and he's lost three of them. In 2019, they got smoked by the 49ers, 37-9 after their bye week. In 2020, it was the Buccaneers beating up on them, 38-10. to They won in 2021 and 22, 45-30 over the Bears and 24-12 over the Rams. Neither of those really juggernaut teams, but a win's a win. 
And then here in 2023, they lose to the Denver Broncos 19-17. Again, looking fairly unimaginative, unprepared, and just not really ready to win a football game. They weren't ready. They, they did not have a plan that was capable of winning them this game. And they lost. It's really as simple as that. And the game, you know, as bad as it was just to lose to the Broncos, really could have looked a lot worse. If not for an interception that turned into a touchdown, 11 years post-Fail Mary, and a ball ricocheting off Romeo Dobbs into the hands of Jaden Reed, are we even talking about a game-winning drive attempt at the end there? Probably not. Secondly, I think that even with the caveats about Jordan Love's supporting cast being true, they're young, they're inexperienced, it is getting harder to blame Love's performance on his supporting cast. If you want to go all the way to Jordan Love is bad, you can go there. I think at least as far as that take goes, things look like they are pointing in that direction, I'll say that. I don't know if we should go there before the end of the season. If you want to be, if you want to win the race to the top of Take Mountain, as one of my friends in the in the podcast business likes to say, sure you can go right out now and say Jordan Love is not the future; he's bad. Blah blah blah. I think there are signs pointing that direction, but at the very least, I think it it behooves us to wait out the season at least. However. It is getting harder to blame his performance on his supporting cast because just look who is out there with him today. The receiving core is healthy. Christian Watson is healthy. Romeo Dobbs is healthy. Healthy. Jaden Reed is healthy. Dontavion Wicks is healthy. Samori Ture is healthy. Your top five receivers, all healthy. The offensive line is about as healthy as it's going to be. Josh Myers did get banged up in this game, but aside from that, you've got as much health as you're really going to have on the offensive line post-David Bakhtiari. Aaron Jones was back today. A.J. Dillon had a reasonably good day today, probably his best game of the season. As far as the supporting cast goes, today seemed more or less as close as you're going to get to the best non-love offense that this thing is going to be. Sure, you may not have had a full Aaron Jones, a, a completely available Aaron Jones, but he was out there. He got 11 touches today. Sure, the pass catchers may be young and inexperienced, but they're healthy, they're available, and they're out there. And they're running to the wrong spots. They're dropping passes. They are just not very good. The young tight ends. I mean, National Tight End Day and everything today, okay. They didn't put up great numbers, but at least they're healthy and available. They are there to do what they can do, and they're just, Love is not connecting with them. It gets harder and harder to just say that the cast is the problem. The cast around Love is the problem, though it is part of the problem. But the quarterback is also supposed to elevate the guys around him. And if the point of the whole draft Jordan Love in 2020 thing was that he gets time to develop and he's not looking like he's developed all that much, that's another very real problem. Third, Good enough to win still leaves a lot to be desired for the Joe Barry defense. There have been a few times this year where we've sat down and said, look, the defense was good enough to win today. This is another one of those situations. 19 points should be good enough to win. Getting fairly consistent pressure, though I don't think any sacks on Russell Wilson today. 
I don't have the stats open in front of me, and I didn't take the time to write it down. There was one play that was close. Maybe they credited it as a sack. Maybe they didn't. In any case, consistent pressure on Wilson uh, was not enough. Even with Carrington Valentine getting cooked fairly regularly, still holding them just to 19 points should be enough to get the win. However, the Barry-led defense still allowed three scoring drives with double-digit plays. An 11-play 72-yard drive that led to a field goal, an 11-play 65-yard that led to a field goal, a 7-play 75-yard drive that led to a touchdown. And then you have the game-winning field goal drive, a 9-play 41-yard drive that ended with, of course, the game-winning field goal there. Even if it is harder to play defense than ever before in the NFL, even if they are without Devondre Campbell and Jair Alexander and a bunch of other guys got hurt in this game and they're just still not very good on the defensive line, and Quay Walker seems to be a man kind of without a job. We talked about him at length before we went on our little break, just the things that he can do, the athletic gifts that he has. It still doesn't feel like they have a good idea what they want to do with him. Um, and I don't know if he had his, his best game today yet, at least one fairly bad missed tackle that I saw. I haven't looked at the the rest of the game enough to know really how he played, but it does seem like they could probably do a little bit more with him. All those things aside, it you shouldn't be giving up multiple double-digit drives for a touchdown. So not three scoring drives with double-digit plays. Either double-digit plays or like three-quarters of the field they went. 11, 11, 7, and 9. Not three. It's two double-digit drives. I had a misprint in my notes there. But um, long scoring drives should not be the norm for this defense. It's not like the offense is putting them in short field positions and they're not getting out of it. They have gotten out of those type of situations at, at in the past, they didn't have to do it a whole lot today, but they still just give up these long drives where they they seemingly cannot get a stop, and it cost them the game today. Missed field goal aside, they were in a position with the lead in the fourth quarter to come out with a win, and they gave up a, a nine-play, 41-yard drive for that game-winning field goal. Not enough. Wasn't enough. Fourth, if this game, if this season was about the process, I think we're getting close to the time where we have to start questioning the process. I want to dive into this a little bit more in a second, but we knew there was going to be sufficient reason to believe that this was going to be a tough year this year. I set the floor in preseason predictions on this Packers team at six wins. The ceiling, I think, was 10 or 11 wins. If they really got cooking... But I think bottoming out after really going all in in a lot of ways was going to leave the cupboard a little bit bare. This was going to be a tough year. A lot of the Packers cap sheet isn't even on the team anymore in a functional way. Rebuilding was going to have to happen. It was going to be tough. There were going to be inexperienced guys at key positions this year, and they were going to come up short a lot of the time. That's the reality of being a rebuilding team in the NFL. However, part of that process is improvement, and things are not improving week to week, especially playing one of the worst teams in the NFL after a bye. More on this in a second. Put a pin on the process sort of stuff, and we'll come back to it. Finally, if we're looking at things that we can take away from this game, I think we have to address the very the truth. This isn't a possibility. This is the truth. The Packers are just bad. They are not just young. 
They are not just inexperienced. They are bad. At the very, very least, they are playing very badly. They haven't scored more than 20 points in a game since week two. They have lost back-to-back games to two of the consensus worst teams in the NFL. And their wins are against the Bears, who are as rudderless of an NFL team as there is in the league this year. And the Saints, who lost their starting quarterback midway through that game. And the Packers still needed a 17-point, well, 18-point fourth quarter comeback to do that. They look like a very bad team right now. And they are playing like a very bad team right now. I feel like we can say that for sure. That's the bad stuff. That's what it feels like we know for sure. Was there anything good that came out of this game? Real quick, two things. First, A.J. Dillon, probably his best game of the year, had his longest catch today since 2021. Packers offensive line kept Jordan Love pretty clean today as well. They didn't get much push in the ground game, but at least Jordan Love was upright for most of this game. That's my list of good stuff today. So what does it mean? We don't have to talk about the bad stuff. Bad stuff is pretty neatly summarized by the final score in this one. A loss to the Denver Broncos, a team that gave up 70 points already this season. The Packers could only manage 17 against that same unit there. So what does it all mean? Our faithful Discord server member, Rudy the Good Question Asker, Put it this way in our post-game chat there. It's a bit of a long statement here, but I'm going to read it word for word because I think it's a good summary of where the Packers are at right now. Kind of of a rhetorical question here, but Rudy says this, quote, the record this year was, in my opinion, never the point. The process was the point. Are we tracking and improving, and do we see flashes of potential that inspire us to to view better days ahead? Then the Packers' cap gets better, we can have a good draft, and life is good. But what happens if we completely miss on the entire process and we look actively worse every week? That is a good series of questions. And it feels like that's pretty much where the Packers are right now. Because trusting the process only works if the process is good. We use the process outcome matrix a lot on this podcast, talking about Having a good process and getting good outcomes or bad outcomes versus having a bad process and and having uh, good outcomes or bad outcomes and what that means. If you have a bad process but you get good outcomes, you're just lucky. Lucky people exist. People have good luck with a bad process from time to time. It happens. It's not a good way to get consistent results. If you have a bad process, though, most of the time you're going to get bad results. If you have a good process, you can have bad results. You're just unlucky. Unlucky things happen. For instance, say that you're building a team within a championship window. You're humming along. You're coming right down the stretch to the end of the season. You are a Super Bowl contender with an MVP caliber quarterback, and then your starting left tackle tears up his knee in practice ahead of a game that really didn't matter anyway. Just throwing that out there as a hypothetical, your process can be good but sometimes you get bad results because bad things just happen sometimes. But most of the time with a good process, you're going to have reasonably good results. But generally speaking, trusting the process only works if the process is actually good. To me, it looks like the process in Green Bay comes down to three things. First, you've got to count on Jordan Love's progress, at least for this season. You've got to count on Jordan Love's development over the three years he sat on the bench, and then Let him hit the ground running. 
conservatively, it seems like that has been a miss so far. He does not look like a guy who has spent three years honing his craft, ready to hit the ground running in week one. Just hasn't been there. Secondly, you've got to get some good players so he can get up to speed with them in a hurry. Those players so far have not looked so great. It'd be nice if we could see Christian Watson consistently. That has not happened. And even when he's out there, the Packers do not seem to have been able to get him involved regularly in a way that matters. It doesn't seem like they know what they're what they're what they want to do with him. Romeo Dobbs looks like an improved version of the limited player that he was last year, which only can take you so far. Jaden Reed is still a rookie. The tight ends are not ready to play NFL football. The players not looking so great here in 2023. We can put a pin in that for right now. Hopefully the players improve over the remainder of the season and into 2024. Then, at least as far as 2023 goes, the process includes trusting Matt LaFleur to put Jordan Love and the players they've put around him in positions to succeed. And it feels like we can say pretty confidently that he is not doing that. Luke Musgrave is probably the perfect example here. Musgrave has two real notable attributes as a young NFL player. He is very big, at the very least very tall, and for his position, he's very, very fast. Think about the sort of plays that you've seen from Luke Musgrave this year, plays in which he gets the ball. Are the ways in which he is getting the ball really taking advantage of the things that he does well, of the tools that he has in his arsenal at this stage of his NFL career? I think for certain we can say no. Today was a pretty perfect example. He did catch one nice, fairly deep out route along the sideline, but other than that, there was checkdowns and a tight end screen for Musgrave, who really does not have the physical tool set to succeed in those kind of situations. He ends up looking a lot like Richard Rodgers kind of lumbering up the field after the catch because he's what I think most scouts would describe as a bit of a long runway sort of guy. He needs some time to get up to speed. And if you're dropping the ball off to him in the flat with defensive backs and linebackers bearing down on him, he's just not equipped to really succeed in that situation. Yet the Packers keep putting him in positions where he is going to be doing that regularly. Look at Jordan Love. The evidence shows so far this year that Jordan Love is not good at throwing the deep ball. And yet the Packers have him out there trying three or four times a game to hit a deep ball that either isn't isn't there or he just cannot complete. You can go on and on. A.J. Dillon trying to run outside consistently. Royce Newman just getting on the field consistently in positions where he can't succeed. You can think of many other examples. Uh, Rashawn Gary being forced to go to rush inside. Maybe not being forced to rush inside. Maybe this one is more of a Rashawn Gary problem. Rashawn Gary rushing inside when he shouldn't in run defense, leading to big gains uh, when people just run to the outside where he was. Okay, maybe that's a Rashawn Gary problem, not perhaps the best example, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. Guys, at least especially on offense, not getting put in positions to do what they do best to help this offense be the best that it can be. 
it just doesn't seem like there's a cohesive plan for any single part of this offense. And that makes it really hard to fall back on things that you do really well. So at least you have some sort of foundational identity. If that's the process, the process just isn't working. And you know it's not working because you know there's nothing that the Packers can fall back on and really just say, okay, we need a breather. We're going to try to do these things so we can get back on our feet and go from there. The Packers are back at Lambeau Field next week. They've got the Minnesota Vikings coming to town. And normally you would say, well, the Packers got to get a win here because you just can't lose to the Minnesota Vikings if you want to retain your dignity. But I don't think counting on a win is really in the cards for the rest of the season here. There's really very few games on the calendar you can circle and say, this is one where the Packers have a super realistic shot at a win. Just run down what the Packers have coming up here. Over the next month or so, you've got Minnesota at home. I think Minnesota seems to be a better team than the Packers right now. The Rams at home. I think I like the Rams at Lambeau Field in that one. We get to visit the Pittsburgh Steelers. You never really know what to expect from the Steelers, but I'd be having a, I had a, I would have a hard time picking the Packers on the road there. They're back to Lambeau Field to play the Chargers uh, on, you know, at a, for a noon kick or a one o'clock kick. I think I like the Chargers in that one for sure. And then you've got a Thanksgiving Day game in Detroit against the Lions. Well, we called the Lions a chimpanzee with a machine gun in an earlier preview this season, kind of as a joking term about a dangerous team where you had nothing to expect from them. Well, the Lions, with the bump in the road against the, the Ravens notwithstanding, seem to be rounding into whatever they hope to become, at least this season. And even if they don't have a machine gun, they look like the sort of team that would kind of just tear the Packers' face off right now. <laughs> they just will probably beat the Packers upside down, up one side and down the other with a football. That's really all they're going to need to do. If the Packers are going to play sloppy, uh, they're going to play just confused football with no real plan. I don't know if it's a good plan, but the Lions have a good plan, and they or have a plan, and they know how to get good performances out of the guys that they do have. That's going to be a team with no plan and no plans for using the guys that they have almost 10 times out of 10. And then from there, it gets worse. The Packers get the Chiefs next in Green Bay. Fun times. They get to play the Giants, which, you know, maybe the Giants really are in a tailspin, but I don't think they can beat the Buccaneers. They might beat the Panthers. Who knows at this point? Then they got to play the Vikings again, and then they got the Bears. They're favored in maybe two or three of those games. Maybe the Panthers, though who knows on the road, and probably the Bears at home in Week 18. It might get worse before it gets better. It almost certainly is going to get worse before it gets better. Because if this was part of the process all along, bottoming out, well, starting to wonder if the Packers have even hit bottom yet. So what if things really go sideways? What if things don't improve over the rest of the season? What if the Packers just can't get out of their own way? What if Jordan Love just doesn't improve? And by Thanksgiving, we're saying, is he ever really going to put it together? Well, then you start having to to have real questions about who has a future in Green Bay. And that is something I want to talk about at some length. 
So the next episode of Blue 58, here's something for you, a teaser, a look ahead. The next episode of Blue 58, we're going to talk about it. We're going to open up that can of worms and say, what happens if the Packers really want to tear all this down? What conditions would we have to be in to say, this is it. It's not getting any better than this. We need to try a new approach. Who's on the the block if that happens? Whose jobs are in jeopardy? Who's going to get a chance to fix all this? That's going to be next time on Blue 58. We're going to take a quick look at this year's rookie class because I've really got nothing else for you. I don't have any interesting notes or nuggets from this game. Looked pretty good. I wish the Broncos would go full orange on a redesign, really kind of break with the their 90s era uniforms and just fully embrace the orange, go, go back to the old school orange crush uniforms. But gorgeous looking day for football in Denver today, which could have been there in person. Rookie watch, though. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, empty stat sheet today. Not a recordable stat at all. We did see him out there. He just didn't put anything on the stat sheet. Luke Musgrave, four catches for 30 yards, one big hit to the head for his trouble, and a hurt ankle to go along with it. Fun times for the rookie tight end there as well. Jaden Reed has caught what is probably the early leader for the most hilarious touchdown the Packers will score this year. Uh, He also appears to be mostly done with punt returns at this point. Had a fair catch today. Keyshawn Nixon did have two returns. Uh, Did finish the game, though, three catches for 21 yards. Tucker Craft, no targets, no catches. Colby Wooden, two tackles and an assist. Sean Clifford, another DNP today. That's good. That's where we want him for right now, though he is getting a lot of attention among a certain sector of Packers fans uh, in in the comments on, on some articles. Sean Clifford is not the future of the Packers either. Uh, and if it's not Jordan Love, it's not going to be Sean Clifford. Um, you might as well bottom out and get a super elite prospect at that point rather than trying to hand things over for a, to a guy that everybody in the, in the NFL passed on at least, what is it, four times, some of them five times. Dontavion Wicks, one catch for 17 yards today, one carry that went absolutely nowhere, and one completion for 14 yards. This was the second time that uh, Wicks has been involved in some sort of double pass in some capacity way back, I think it was in week one, the Packers tried a double pass uh, where Emmanuel Wilson kind of short-armed it back across the field to Jordan Love, and Love went deep to Wicks but slipped and sailed the ball over Wicks's head, one of the uglier plays of the year. Today, Wicks gets a chance to throw the ball, kind of short arms it as well, but if he had thrown it well, I think, I think that play or that pass might have been picked off because it looked like the Broncos had some players in the area. So if he puts a little bit more air under that ball, trying to get it to, to um, Aaron Jones, I believe it was, it might have been intercepted. Uh, Carl Brooks, two solo tackles today. Anders Carlson, first miss of the year. Costly, costly miss, though. Maybe a loss that prompts some serious conversation with the Packers. Uh, maybe Carlson is doing some good work there, facilitating that discussion, at least in, in a small way. Carrington Valentine was the target today, and he delivered for the Denver Broncos. Jerry Judy basically had his way with uh, the rookie cornerback, and that's life as a rookie defensive back in the NFL. Speaking of rookie defensive back, safety Anthony Johnson played today. He was active but did not record a stat. We'll have more details on the sort of snap counts that he had uh, as of tomorrow. Malik Heath was inactive today. Emmanuel Wilson, his most statistically productive day, I think, of the season. Two carries for 19 yards, including a 14-yard run. Also had two catches for eight yards today. Bretton Cox active today in play, but did not record a stat. That's your rookie review, and that's really all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. 
I wish it was better, but uh, I think we're going to have some tough conversations about the Packers in the very near future here. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode and think someone else would enjoy it too, I would appreciate it if you would pass it along with that person. That is the, the number one way that we grow. Your word of mouth helps us continue to, to get more downloads, more ears on this podcast, which in turn is going to get more people involved in this conversation about the Green Bay Packers, which helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.